Welcome to the City Baptist Church Podcast, where we are passionate about sharing Jesus with Vancouver and beyond. We would love for you to be a part of one of our weekend services. And of course, you can find details on location and service times on our website at citybaptist.church. Today's podcast is from our current teaching series, This Is Us, where we are discovering our core identity and God's intention for every person in the local church. Mark chapter number nine today, and uh, this morning we're going to be continuing our series uh, that we've been in called This Is Us, and uh, I'm excited to be able to share some thoughts with you this morning that the Lord's uh, given to me, and really some thoughts that the Lord has already encouraged my heart with and challenged me with, and I hope that uh, He will use it uh, in your life today. I hope you came ready to hear, and uh, we're excited. We had a great weekend um, with the church family and those that were able to go to the marriage retreat up in Whistler. And what a blessing that was and what an encouragement it was for us to just hear some things and to get away from uh, the busyness and the kids a little bit, you know, uh, to get away from the kids a bit and to just hear the word of God specifically for our marriages. Uh, you know, uh, those of you who are married today uh, uh, or hope to be married uh, one day, I'll tell you this, uh, I think you recognize that it's easy to uh, get a little selfish in marriage. You ever notice that? And it's easy a little bit. It's easy to allow some things to creep in that could really uh, be a detriment to you as, a, as, a, as an individual and to your marriage. And so there's so many things, there's so many attacks from all sides uh, today, especially in the society that we live in. There's so many attacks on marriage. It's so important for us to guard those. And so it's good that we have those things. You say, is all you have is a marriage conference? No, of course. We have men's retreat. We have ladies retreats. We have youth stuff. We have things that feed the whole body of Christ. But definitely, uh, as, as, a, as someone who is married, the marriage retreat is really uh, good. So how many of you are hot today? Anybody? Okay, all right. Well, I'm going to turn on some cooling uh, temperatures. Does that sound good? All right, there we go. Everyone but uh, Cheryl said, yes, I'm hot. But uh, <laughs> that's an inside joke. Okay. <laughs> great. Well, we had a great time, and I'm thankful for that, uh, for that opportunity. And uh, we're glad to have actually uh, Pastor uh, Greg Adams and his wife are there in the back. He was the one speaking at our marriage conference, and uh, it was just a huge blessing. So thank you so much, and we're glad that he's here today with us, and, uh, and uh, he's a good, good friend of mine. Okay, we're in Mark chapter number nine is where we're going to start today. And uh, the last few weeks, this is week number three of our series. And what we've been doing, basically what the core idea of this series is, is to identify for us as a church family some key attributes that we need to be reminded of as a church family, what it looks like to be a part of the local body of believers, a local church. It's so important for us to be constantly reminded of our role, of the, of the part that we play, of God's importance uh, of the local church and of the people that make up uh, the church. And so we've, we've looked at some defining character traits from the Word of God to help us understand and to me, really, I hope that it's uh, enabled us to sort of narrow the focus, uh, focus corporately and then as well inwardly look at our hearts and look at our motivation for how we view the local church. I, I believe very strongly that the local church is in a very important part of society. Uh, the Bible tells us it's very important. The Bible tells us that Jesus died and gave himself for the church. And so because Christ put such an importance on it, then the whole New Testament is based off of it. We as a church family need to uh, sometimes just step back a little bit and understand a little bit more of our, port, our, our part and our role within the local church. So, so far in the series, just to give you a quick uh, review, we've talked about how we need to be a functioning church in the sense that everyone has a part to play. First Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to look at that again uh, later on in this message, but we all need to play a role as he talks about it in First Corinthians 12, how there's all the different parts of the body and he uses that analogy to describe the local church. The thing that we see in common with all of them is that they all have something to do. Everybody's involved. Everyone uh, plays a part of the church, and, and uh, that's something that we should strive for, of course. And then last week, we looked at how we are to be a church that is united in our purpose. We're united in the things that God has called us to do. We strive, and each of us are to be a catalyst for unity. We are to be people who are actively striving to see unity happen so that we can make a bigger difference for the cause of Jesus Christ. And so we talked about that last week, but this morning I want to take the time to look at a subject that sometimes, I'll tell you this, it's a subject that's hard to preach about because when you study it out and you preach about it and you talk about it a lot, the Lord reveals all of your failures to you. You ever have that happen? You study a subject and you're like, oh, you know, I'm going to go study the love of God again, right? You know, and, and you find these things and it, and it kind of jumps out at you. And so today's topic is the topic of servant leadership. 
We're going to talk about today what it looks like to be a church family that has a servant's heart. Someone who's willing to put aside uh, maybe some things of our own that we maybe, maybe we say, hey, that's a right. That's my right. But we're willing to put it aside for the sake of unity and for the sake of practicing servant leadership as is so clearly distributed and so clearly shown, distributed is not the right word, so clearly shown uh, in the word of God. And so we're going to look at that. And, and to me in particular, we're going to look at the importance of each of us to desire to lead our homes, our workplaces, and our local church as servant leaders. Now, this past week uh, was kind of a fun week for us because it was Owen's birthday and Owen turned five. Do you remember? It was your birthday this week. Remember that? Yeah, and Owen turned five. How many of you remember turning five? <laughs> a few of you do. Yeah, some of you. How many of you remember when you turned eight years old? That's a pretty big one. Okay, how many of you remember when you turned 10? Most, some of you do, some of you don't. Man, I remember when I turned 10 and, and uh, I remember when I turned, I remember when I turned eight. Eight was kind of a big year for me uh, because uh, I had just gotten a pair of rollerblades, my first pair of rollerblades, and they were sweet. Anyway, um, but uh, do you remember what it was like when you were a kid and it was your birthday? You remember what it was like? Remember how excited you were? Oh, I remember how excited I was. And guess what? I'm reminded of it every time one of our boys has a birthday, you know? They're like, it is my birthday on Thursday. Three more sleeps, two more sleeps, you know, one more sleep, you know? And then he woke up on Wednesday morning, it is my birthday. And I think we sing happy birthday like five times. I think it's a record for our family. We sing happy birthday five times to him all throughout the day. And uh, guess what? When, when he woke up and, and, and when he woke up and it was his birthday, guess what? He's like, hey, where's my presents? Right? You know? <laughs> That's the, that's the first thing he thought of. I'm getting presents today. Today is present day. Uh, and, and, and a cake. You know, where's the cake, right? You remember that? And, and I remember on my birthday back in the day when I was a kid. Remember how excited you get, though? I mean, it was everything to you. It is my birthday. It is the best day of the year. No longer will I be shackled about by the age of four. I will now be five, and I will be a grown-up. I'll be getting closer to my sibling's age, you know? And uh, that's what we always thought anyway, right? And it, and it, it became like all about them. And, and to me, what was so funny is just the idea of the fact that it was his birthday turned him into this, this jittery ball of energy, just like all day long. He was just like, it's my birthday, you know, and he's just like twitching. He's all excited and he's so pumped up. It's my birthday today. Now, now when you become an adult, it changes a little bit, doesn't it? Now, now I, a week before it was Jeanette's birthday. And she was not turning five. I'll just say that. <laughs> a little older than that. And in fact, a little older than me. I just want to point that out again, <laughs> just for everyone to know that again. But it, we approach it a little bit differently, don't we? Guess what? It was her birthday. Guess what? She had to get up and take the kids to school. Right? <laughs> Guess what? Nothing changed. It was her birthday. It was a regular day. All of her same responsibilities. And, and as an adult, you know, as it there's always that aspect you're like oh man I'm getting another year older and then it comes quicker the birthdays come a lot faster don't they you know it seems like it's like who changed it to a 10-month year you know and and it's it seems like it's it just so quickly it comes and we don't look forward to it there's a bit of dread uh there's not as much anticipation you know like when it's a month out you're not like when to my birthday you know and and uh but I will say this even though as adults we don't look forward to our birthdays as much I think you would agree with me in understanding that even though, you know, we still maybe have to go to work, we still have to do things, there's always a part of us in the back of our mind that still says, it's my birthday, <laughs> right? You ever have that coworker who comes in today, you know, comes into work, you know, and you're like, oh, what's different, man, you seem so, it's my birthday today, you know, or they <laughs> subtly drop hints. Of course, now we have Facebook and stuff, and it just inundates us with whose birthday it is, you know, tells us all the time, and that's great and everything to re help remember. But uh, I, there's always something kind of in the back of your mind that still, like, wants to feel a little special. Wouldn't you agree? There's a little bit in the back of your mind you're like, you know what, today is about me. Today I, you know, e even if you're like, I can't believe I'm, you fill in the number, right? <laughs> even though I'm hitting this, this number in my age, there's still a part of us that, kind of has this inward desire, you know, maybe you've known some people, or maybe you're this kind of person, if it's your birthday, you're not going to work, I mean, you're calling in a <coughs> sick day, maybe, or a personal health day, if it's your birthday, you're like, I'm not working, it's my birthday today, I'm not going to work, you know, maybe some of you, maybe you've made some rather extravagant purchases for yourself, just because it was your birthday, maybe you know someone who's done that, you know, it's my birthday, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do it, it's my birthday, I don't care if I go into debt, it doesn't matter, it's my birthday, I'm doing it, no, oh, no one, no one can relate to that, okay, all right, it's just me, I guess, <laughs> I don't make these things up. These are personal examples here, no? 
Or, you know, it's my birthday. I'm not cleaning anything in the house. I'm not doing laundry today. I'm not, I'm not doing anything, you know. It's my birthday. I'm going to take a sick day. I'm going to watch TV all day. I'm going uh, to do something. I'm going to eat the whole cake myself, you know. I'm going to put the kids to bed, and I'm going to sit in my bed, and I'm going to watch Netflix and eat a whole cake. You know? that, I don't know anyone who's done that, actually, but I have heard of those kind of things. And there's just, I guess what I'm trying to say is that even though it's not something that we look forward to as much as a kid. In all of us, there's that, just that little level of, hey, it's my birthday. I want to I wanna feel special today. I want that. It's, a, it's, an, in, it's an inward focus. And, and by the way, I totally understand that. I totally get it. You know, birthdays come around once a year, and it's, it's, it's okay to have those kind of feelings. And we want everyone, or maybe we want just ourselves, just to focus on ourselves a little bit. But the point I'm trying to get across today is just that while that's okay with our birthdays and things like that, the problem is, is that sometimes in a local church, Sometimes we have that mentality a little bit ourselves in, in this way, like, hey, I'm a part of the church. I'm glad to be here. I have responsibilities. I'm giving. I'm serving all those things. But in the back of our mind, there's this little bit of us that's like, you know what? It's really kind of about me, actually, though. There's this part of me that, you know what? I need, I, I need to make sure that I'm getting what I feel I should get or what I deserve I should get out of the local church. Now, by the way, I'm just going to give you a heads up. Today's message is kind of hard, just so you know. It's a little more, kind of gets to the heart a little bit, okay? By the way, we all need this sometimes, don't we? And, uh, and there's that little voice in us that says, eh, you know, well, that, that didn't quite go how I thought it should go. Or, hey, you know, I really want this to be about me a little bit more. Or maybe I don't feel quite like I've got the appreciation that I deserve or the, the things that I need and and, and I've seen it. I mean, I've been in church a long time. My dad was a pastor, all of those kind of things. But often there develops a little bit of a quiet kind of inward allowance of selfishness a little bit that creeps in. That to be honest with you, Scripture's pretty clear about it. That really shouldn't be a part of the local church at all. And, and, and that's the struggle that we go through as humans is that that's part of who we are. That's uh, how we are. Uh, obviously, our, our sinful nature has that part of it. And oftentimes it can take over. And, and, and it reveals itself in many different ways. And, and honestly, I'm not just saying this individually, but I'm saying sometimes even as a church, corporately, we fall into that pattern where our entire church body can become inward focused rather than being outward focused as we're supposed to be. Where an entire church family becomes more about the specific culture of the church or the specific idea of what a group of people in the church want or whatever it may be. And it becomes an inward kind of uh, selfish focus and Maybe there's even a resist to change uh, or there's a, a, a priority over certain things over other things and this whole inward idea comes into play and, and the fact is, is that it should just not be that way. Living the Christian life uh, is never seen from a position of inward focus. See, the abundant life that was promised to us in John chapter 10 and verse number 10, that abundant and fulfilled life that was promised to us uh, can really only be experienced from a position that is totally different than the world views it today to fully understand what the fulfilled life is, to fully understand what it means to live the abundant Christian life is honestly from a position of servant, not a position of greatness. So often we get that mess and we think, okay, God promised me an abundant life and a fulfilled life. That means I'm gonna be above everybody else. You ever felt like that before? I felt like that before, you know? And, and, and when it doesn't go our way, we're like, wait, what's going on? I'm not living the abundant life. But the reality of scripture is that the abundant life is seen more in servanthood, in serving others, than it is in being above others. I told you, or asked you to turn to Mark chapter 9. I want you to see here in verse number 33, really a, a, a famous passage around that. And it, it deals with the servant mentality because from the very beginning, our struggle has been that we equate great, or we do not equate greatness with serving. But Jesus, as he usually did, flipped it on its head. He came to Capernaum in verse 33, and being in the house, he asked them, what was it that you disputed among yourselves, by the way? So he's talking, to, uh, he's talking to his disciples, and he had been walking ahead of them, I'm assuming, but he had noticed, obviously he's God, and he knew what was going on. But he said to them, he said, hey, what was it that you were arguing about? What were you guys disputing back and forth while we were walking? But they held their peace. Oh, nothing, Lord. What were you guys fighting? You ever do that? Those of you who have kids, you come into your kids. Hey, what are you guys fighting about? Nothing. <laughs> you know, nothing. I distinctly heard a fist into flesh, you know. <laughs> what was that all about? What's going, nothing. We're not fighting about anything. My brother and I were really good at that. We would fight, fight, fight. My mom would be like, hey, what's going on? Nothing's happening. We're all good. We're all like, <gasps> nothing, nothing. <laughs> you know, door closes and it's on again. 
But that's what he said to them. He said, what's going on? But they held their peace, and here's why they held their peace. These guys were smarter than they looked. (laughs) For by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. He says, why were you guys arguing? Oh, nothing, Lord. Well, the reason was is they were arguing who was going to be the greatest. These are the disciples. Who is going to be the greatest one? And he sat down. So Jesus did this. And he sat down, and he called the twelve, and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. Can you imagine just being there and experiencing these men, (laughs) these grown men who are arguing over the first? And Jesus says, hey, guys, come and sit down. I need to talk to you for a minute. And as he began to speak to them, they all sort of hung their heads in shame. I, I totally see it just, yeah, you're right, Lord. You're right. He's saying to them, if you desire to be first, if you desire to have greatness, then the same, if you desire that same person should desire to be last of all and servant of all. You got to think about it. These disciples were experiencing the humbling of God himself coming to this earth, his great humility. They were seeing him serve others, put other people first. And the fact was that they were just completely missing it at all. They still thought that it was all about who's going to be the greatest, who's going to be first overall. And they had this worldly desire to be elevated above the rest. I love how Jesus here puts it so plainly. He says, listen, the true goal of the Christian life is to serve, not to seek to be served. Now, when it comes to the local church then, this uh, characteristic that, that we see here, I believe, is that we would be serving one another, and as Hebrews tells us, to provoke one another to good works, to serve one another and encourage each other to do the same way. And I believe it comes from a position of servant leadership. Now, the word servant occurs 57 times in the New Testament, and the word serve occurs 58 times in the New Testament. Now, obviously, when it comes to the the term servant, it does refer sometimes to the position in the household uh, that the Bible talks so much about. But the vast majority of the time, it talks about the idea of Christians serving one another. And then, of course, like I said, the word serve as well is 58 times. And the idea that I want you to get is that serving is important in the Bible. It's very important. It's a big aspect of who we are as Christians. Now, I I will eventually share some thoughts with you about being a servant leader, okay? It's a long intro, just so you know. Eventually, I'll get there. (laughs) But before I get into it, I I just want to cover one thought real quickly before we get into some practical things about being a servant leader. And the thing that I want to cover, first of all, is that when it comes to the subject of servant leadership, A big issue arises to me right away because no matter how strong our desire is to be a servant leader, no matter how strong our desire is to serve other people, no matter how big the calling may be on your life from God to serve other people, the fact is, and the fact that we have to remember is that we are flawed humans, aren't we? And that even a person who has the best intentions, even the person who is maybe spiritually mature and whatever it may be, they still struggle with what everyone struggles with and that is indwelling and besetting sins, right? Isn't that true? No matter how good our intentions are, the fact is we are flawed human beings and we struggle with that. To expect perfection out of one another from a position of serving one another and to expect that perfection even out of someone in leadership or others is just a flawed view of humanity. <laughs> to think that somehow because a person is maybe in a position where they're serving others or that somehow everything's going to be perfect and everything's going to be fixed is just a flawed view of, of, of the human race really is what it is. And so it does not matter, I guess what I'm trying to say is that it does not matter the spiritual maturity of a person because even at the height of our maturity we'll still be defective servants. Even at the height of our maturity we're defective servants. And recognizing that, I believe, is so important to us because to me it explains often why maybe some one person may serve from good intentions and from a pure heart, but then somebody else may view that service and try to put on a, uh, uh, onto that person maybe, a, uh, uh, they may try to tarnish the fact that they're serving in that way. Does that make sense? And, and, and it's like this. Okay, so if someone in, I'm going to explain this a little bit better. I'm going to do my best. Here we go. So if you're, if, you're, if you're, let's say, in a position of serving and you're serving someone else, somebody else may say, oh, they're just doing that because they want others to notice. Well, why would they say that? Well, they'd say that because they maybe have some sin or something's going on in their life. And so they're viewing everything in a, in a, in a corrupted manner. 
And in the same way for someone else to look at someone in serving and be like, oh, I don't know if that's really genuine or that's really sincere. It's the same thing. We're all, we're all just flawed human beings. So I guess what I'm trying to lay down as a, gri- as a, as a, as a baseline for us is that, listen, while we're going to learn about being a servant leader and while we're going to try to serve one another to the best of our ability, the hard reality is, is that it's not going to be perfect. And guess what? That's okay. That's totally okay. Because without, if we we're all perfect, we wouldn't need the grace of God. We wouldn't need uh, Jesus Christ. We wouldn't need his redemptive power. And so it just reminds us of who we are. And so I want to set that baseline just so we understand that while these principles are important and the things we're going to talk about are very, I think, are key, there's always that level of flawedness that we have to remember. Even in those that we look up to, think of the person that you look up to the most as a spiritual person, and they would turn around to you and say, I'm a flawed human being. I'm flawed. It's by the grace of God that I maybe haven't messed up. It's by the grace of God. And we all have that in common when it comes to the idea of servant leadership. Now, does that remove the fact that we need to serve? No, of course not at all. We can't just live in a fatalistic idea like, well, I'm never going to do it right, so I'm just not going to serve anybody. I'm never going to get it right, so I'm not even going to try. No, of course, we need to still follow um, what Scripture tells us, but we have to remember that there's going to be some discouragement along the way. Even Jesus Christ, the perfect servant leader, by the way, the only perfect servant leader, went through some trials, went through some people uh, throwing shade on his life, accusing him of wrongdoings. But Jesus still continued to serve. Even though, there were, even though there were those who accused him of wrongdoing, they accused Jesus of being the devil, he still knelt and washed feet. <laughs> even though they rejected him and, and, and any time that he would prove, I mean, without a shadow of a doubt that he was the son of God, and they nailed him to a cross. And he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He still served humanity in providing a way of salvation for us. And Jesus did not finish, or he did not give up with it. He still continued to serve. And so this morning, as we get into the idea of being a servant leader, you have to recognize it's not always going to be appreciated. It's not always going to be recognized, but it's still God's call for his people to have a servant's heart. It's still God's call for us to um, meet the needs of one another and in our community. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to give you four short thoughts. You ready? I promise there'll be short points today. Four short thoughts or ideas around the subject of servant leadership. And I believe they'll be a help to you. They've been a challenge to me as well. So number one this morning, you can write this down in your notes. Number one, a servant leader seeks the glory of Jesus. A servant leader will always be somebody who seeks the glory of God. Ultimately, we have to remember the purpose of God creating us is that we would bring glory to him, is it not? The purpose of man is that we would uh, point others to him and that we would understand our position and our gifting in Christ and allow those things to uh, uh, reveal to others and to point others to Jesus Christ. Our purpose in life is to bring glory to God. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 19, he says, what? I love that. He says that, what? (laughs) Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. If you can understand that point right there today, that you are not their, your own, it can change everything for you. Your body is not your own. You, who you are, your life is not your own. Don't hold on to it so tightly and be like, man, this is mine. I'm going to do whatever I want. Listen, God has a purpose for you. God has something for you. So he says, no, you're not your, uh, that you're not your own. He says, for ye are bought with a price. Think about the price Christ paid for you today. Think about the price that he paid for you. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In John chapter 7 and verse number 18, it says, He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. A person that uh, speaks constantly of themselves seeks their own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. In Ephesians chapter number 6, In verse number six, it says, we are to live not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. See, as Christians, we are the bond servants of Jesus Christ. And uh, the thing that we need to recognize is that it's not public approval. It's not position. It's not authority. None of those things have our primary loyalty. Our loyalty is to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in our service, we do not serve others because we're trying to be recognized. We do not serve others uh, because we want some sort of accolades or whatever it may be. But if our service comes from a pure heart with a desire to glorify God, then it will stand the test of time. It'll stand the test of time. 
But if we ever live and serve and serve others and serve in the church from a position of, of selfishness, of trying to uh, somehow lift ourselves up, guess what? It's nothing. It's worth nothing at all. I've got to ask you, have you ever tried to serve the Lord or even serve somebody else in your own strength or for your own glory? Be honest with me. I'm going to put both my hands up, okay? Not because I'm under arrest, but, all right? but it's true, right? Anyone? You ever tried to serve or do something for the Lord because you thought somebody was watching? Listen, I have preached messages. Brother Adams, maybe you can uh, attribute, uh, hopefully, well, not hopefully. Uh, I've preached messages because, and I've preached them in a certain way or said a certain thing because of who was in the audience. Maybe like a pastor I looked up to and I wanted to impress them, you know. I wanted, I'm always trying to impress you guys, just so you know, every week. I just try my hardest. <laughs> I know you accept me for who I am. Thank you for that. Um, but I've done things like that. I've served. I've served because of, uh, out of expectation maybe. I've, I've demonstrated the love of Christ from a selfish position. How ridiculous is that, right? <laughs> but those kind of things are going to be burned up. That's wood, hay, stubble, as Scripture talks about. The things that last are the things that are done from a pure heart of service to the Lord. A pure heart that really has the right desires. And, it, and, and recognizing that it's for the glory of God. And Matthew chapter number 6 is a great passage on this. Why don't you turn there with me? I don't have it on the screen. So if you have your Bible, go with me over to Matthew chapter 6. The Lord gave me this uh, just a, a second before I walked up here to preach. So I quickly just typed in the reference here. But in Matthew chapter 6, I think deals a lot with this idea of serving the Lord for the glory of God rather than for our own. He says in verse uh, number 1 of Matthew 6, he says, Take heed that you do not your alms before men. He's talking about giving. Uh, to the church there and giving to the temple. He says, uh, don't do it before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your father, which is in heaven. By the way, the Lord sees, doesn't he? The Lord sees. Therefore, when thou dost thine, eye, thine alms, sorry, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the streets and in the uh, uh, synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. He tells the story of those who go, and when they go to the synagogue to give, and I've used this illustration before, but um, often the giving plates, if you want to call it that, was a large uh, brass or copper bowl, and people would go, and when they would toss in their offering, especially in those days with everything was coin, it would make a loud noise. And there were even some who, to draw attention to themselves, would take the money that they were giving and they would kind of swirl it in that bowl and it would kind of roll. You know like those things in the mall when you were a kid, you put the penny in, you watch it go? They would kind of swirl the coins in there and it would be, make this loud noise. You know, and everybody was like, whoa, somebody sold a house this weekend or whatever, you know. And somebody's making a huge donation and people would pay attention. He even talks about blowing trumpets. How ridiculous is this? I'm going to church check out my offering bag, you know, I'm putting it in, and I, I don't know if they did that, that's kind of a weird thing to do, but you know what I mean, and they would draw attention to themselves, and they would point it out, look at the things that I'm doing, and then he says here, they have their reward, guess what their reward was, everybody noticed, everybody noticed, that's it, that's the reward, and it applies in our service as well, if our service is for anything but the glory of God, you had your reward, somebody may say, oh, you're such a blessing, there's your reward, there's nothing eternal, there's nothing lasting about it, and as Christians, we know that when we get to heaven, there's going to be rewards. There's going to be things that uh, the Lord is going to bless us with and, and reward us with. And, and I, I'm afraid that often we'll get up there and he'll say, man, a lot of that you just did for yourself. That's why it's so good for us just to check our hearts, isn't it? Okay, why am I really doing this? Why am I really serving in this way? What is the motivation behind my service? We must surrender our service for the glory of of God and to seek his glory in all things. To me, that's, that's a baseline for servant leadership. But secondly, this morning, a servant leader will sacrificially seek the joy and the growth of those that they serve. I love this thought. If we're truly going to be a servant leader, we are going to sacrificially seek the joy and the growth of those that we serve. Now, this does not conflict at all with us serving the master or to the glory of God. Remember how Jesus described it in Matthew chapter number 20, verse 26, and I'll read down or go to verse number 28 as well. He said, but it shall not uh, be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And then he said this, even as the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. The point I'm trying to see here is that yes, we serve for the glory of God, but we also serve for others as well. We're serving to the benefit of one another in the local church. 
not only within the local church, but within our community as well. We serve our community for their joy and their growth. Uh, If they do know the Lord, if they do not know the Lord, the goal is to point them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so the point is that whatever your temperament or your, your giftedness, your capacity, or your influence, a true servant leader will make the necessary sacrifices in order to pursue the joy and and moving forward of people in the faith. The Apostle Paul, to me, is an incredible example of this. He was in prison, remember. And there were times where Paul just wanted to give up, but he did not give up because he wanted to see the church continue to move forward. I want you to see this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 24 uh, through 25. He's in prison. He's going through some difficulty. And then he says this, Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. He would just finish saying that for me to live is Christ, but to die would be gain. <laughs> he said, if I die, man, it would be great because he was suffering. He was going through a lot of challenges. And he says that. He says, man, to die would be gain. He knew he'd be in the presence of God. But then he says this. Notice, he says, nevertheless, or all right, I'm going to stay in the flesh because it's important to you, those that he is writing to. Now, look what he says this. And ha- it says here, and having this confidence... I know that I shall abide and continue with you all. Here's why he said, I'm going to stay. Here's why I'm going to serve for your furtherance and joy of faith. Now think about that for a minute. He says, I I have so many issues. I have so many physical problems. I have so many things that I just want to leave this earth. He says, but I'm going to abide. I'm going to stay for your furtherance, for your growth and for your joy in the faith. Now that's a powerful statement by the Apostle Paul right there. He's saying here and he's showing us that true sacrifice where he saw his own suffering and he saw, uh, saw his own trials as something that would be worth continuing if it was a blessing to other people. Now think about that for a minute. He saw his own trials, his own difficulties as something that he would be willing to continue on as long as he needed to if it meant that others would be blessed by him being there and and being a part of their life. Now think about that. Have you ever looked at your trials and your suffering as something that the Lord is bringing you through so you can be a help and a blessing to other people? Of course not, right? We never think that way. We just can't wait for it to go away. We can't wait for that problem to leave us and for the health issues to go. And we are just like, man, I just want it to go. But Paul said... I'm willing to stay here in the flesh. I'm willing to endure prison. I'm willing to suffer these things if it means you will grow and there will be joy in your faith. I I want you to look around the room for a minute. Can you do that? It's not weird. Look around. Just look around. It's not weird. Just look around the room. Look deep into you. No. (laughs) look Look around. Look around the room for a minute. Okay, now you can look back up here. Good. All right. Good. Thank you. All right, look around the room again. One more time. I promise. Don't look at the same people though. (laughs) <laughs> you're like that's hard I can't do that don't look at me all right here, here's what I want you to think okay you can look back up here let me ask you is there somebody in this room that you just looked around is there somebody in this room that you sacrificed maybe your time maybe a talent or maybe even what's the third T your treasure maybe is there somebody in this room that you've sacrificed in order for them to grow, to experience joy, and to see their faith strengthened. Is there somebody in this room that you've done that for? Now think about it. It's a pretty sobering thought, isn't it? It's a very sobering thought. To, to think, okay, have we been showing what the Apostle Paul taught us here? That we are sacrificing and seeking genuinely seeking the joy and the growth of each other here in the local church and you now listen there may be some of you here today and be like no one's ever done anything for me no one's ever no one's ever uh, reached out to me or, or or loved me in that way have you reached out to somebody and done it in the same way right a man who has friends must show himself friendly principle applies in so many different ways doesn't it in scripture and so often it's easy to, to look at our own issues and just be inward focused Rather than seeing that, listen, if we're going to be true servants and servant leaders, we're going to sacrifice, we're going to reach out, because we want to see people thrive, we want to see people grow. We may even be willing to sacrifice and suffer ourselves so that someone else would receive joy in their faith. Man, that's so deep, isn't it? If we really, I mean, that gets to the core of who we are as humans, because as the, at our core, we are selfish. At our core, it's all about us. And Paul says, man, what an example. He says, I'm willing to just suffer here if it means that there's furtherance, there's growth in your joy. What a, what a thought today. 
A servant leadership sacrificially seeks the joy and growth of those they serve. But number three, a servant leader will also surrender their rights rather than be a hindrance to the gospel. A true servant leader will be willing to surrender their rights or even their preferences, if you want to put it that way, if it would cause them to be a hindrance of the gospel. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 19. He said, for though I be free from all men, he's talking about his freedom in Christ. He says, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. He says, though I be free, though I can do really what I want to do, I can just go on. He says, I've still made myself a servant to other people. What did this mean for him? Of course, in the Apostle Paul, it meant a lot of different things. He gave up a lot of things to serve the Lord. He abstained from a lot of things. He refused certain things that would have blessed him and helped him. He worked with his own hands. He uh, went hungry. The Bible tells us he dressed poorly. He was beaten. Uh, He, uh, as far as we know, if he was married, he didn't have much of a marriage. And most likely we believe he was not married. He was willingly giving that up for the Lord. And all of these things that he put aside, all so that he could be martyred in the end. (laughs) Also, he could be killed in the end. He willingly put all these things aside so that others could be encouraged. Now, I realize Paul set the servanthood bar a little high for most of us. You know, I did high jump when I was in high school, you know, and uh, yeah, I couldn't jump that one. I mean, that's pretty high when it comes to servanthood. I realize that. But for a lot of us, for the dedicated Christian and servant leaders, I think we need to recognize in Paul that he gave up a lot of things that he had a right to, that he could have very well demanded. Remember the time when he went, uh, when churches were trying to give him support and he actually resisted the support from the churches because he, he had a purpose, God had spoken to him about it and he resisted it, even though he had, he had a right to it. But he resisted it all so that he could be the servant that God wanted him to be. And for us as dedicated Christians, you have to remember the rewards in heaven far outweigh any temporal rewards we may experience here in this earth. Meaning this, there are some things that we certainly can demand and certainly we have a right to, aren't there? Right? Man, we live in a society of, I, ha- I need my rights, right? Right? Right, right. Okay, <laughs> you know what I mean. I mean, we live in a society that's like, hey, I deserve this. I, 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 demand these ba- I demand these things. And that mentality sometimes comes into the church, not for basic spiritual growth, but sometimes we're just like, I, I have to have this thing. I've got to have this thing or, or I'm done. This has to be met or this thing has to happen. And, and the point is, is that as true servants, we sometimes... I'm not saying all the time, by the way. This isn't that we just like live in a terrible situation. The local church is great, okay? But sometimes we give up certain things. Sometimes we uh, put aside some preferences or maybe even some things that we deserve for whatever reason because the temptation is is that we place those things above unity and we place those things above even the mission of the church, which is reaching people with the gospel. And so Paul, he's showing us here, he says he's willing to put some things aside you say what are you talking about Paul listen sometimes in the local church sometimes we place preferences on certain things whether it's a a style of things whether it's uh, we have preferences that certain decisions made versus other decisions and we put those things and we elevate them maybe it's even an event or something like that and we elevate our personal preference over the idea of serving one another in unity now that these are these are, I won't say extreme situations, but even in our own hearts sometimes we have an attitude of, eh, you know, they should. I think they should have done this. You ever felt that way in church? I feel that way in church. <laughs> and I make some decisions here sometimes, you know. <laughs> and we have kind of that heart of like, uh, you know, I think or, or I, I like this or I don't like this or I want this or I want this. And the point is, is that as, as servants, we need to be willing to put those things aside sometimes. I'm not talking about matters of sin, by the way, okay? There's a sin issue. Obviously, things have to be dealt with. But if we're, if we're talking about things like preferences or things that we maybe want other uh, than others, we have to be willing to put them aside to eliminate, not eliminate, but at least do our best to avoid contention and division. Our preferences should never get in the way of the gospel being lifted up and proclaimed to our community, never at one time. Amen. Never at one time. Now, now that's a, I understand, that the whole idea of talking about preferences, that kind of gets to us a little bit. I told you today is going to be a little bit harder of a message, okay? So uh, it's just, we need to talk about these things sometimes. Because we do all have preferences, and I totally understand that. And, and to the best of our ability, we want to be a church that everybody feels welcome and everybody feels comfortable in. And I, I think that we're doing a great job. I love our church, and I know you guys do too. But sometimes we can allow things to creep in. I remember a pastor 
uh, preached this whole message on the creeping things. <laughs> and this is one of the things, the things that creep into our minds that come into us that we need to be willing to sacrifice for the benefit of others. Um, I mean, there, uh, yeah, we won't get into it anymore. That's, sound good? We'll stay right there. Uh, it, but it's a good thing to think about and, and to be challenged with. And if you have something, uh, you know, that maybe you're like, hey, I really like to see this happen, obviously, come and talk to me. Many of you come and say, hey, pastor, I like this. Can we do this? Can we try, you know, and if it fits within it, we can do it. We'll do it. But all of us need to be willing to step away from those preferences. Does that make sense? We need to be willing to do that if it leads to the benefit of the church and the gospel moving forward. If, if there's ever a certain preference that we have, and I'm saying preference, I'm not saying conviction. Did you notice that? There's a big difference. I'll die for my convictions. I will not die for my preferences, <laughs> okay? I will not die for that. But if a preference, if we see a preference of ours becoming a point of contention, we need to ask ourselves, okay, is this really, is this something that needs to be a point of contention? Or should I maybe step back from it? By the way, we should also go to each other in love and a servant's heart to deal with things, right? And to work through those things. See, a servant leader will surrender their rights rather than be a hindrance to the gospel. And then number four, I told you they were short. A servant leader is not preoccupied with personal visibility and recognition. We are not preoccupied with personal visibility and recognition. There's a, there's a story in John chapter 3, and it's, it's John the Baptist talking in verse number 29. And, of course, it's given us the idea of the, the, the bride and the bridegroom. The groom comes, and, of course, the bride being the church, the bridegroom being Jesus Christ. And John said this. He said, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. And then he says, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled he must increase, but I must decrease. Now, of course, the, the scripture is pretty clear here. It talks about uh, um, the, the groom, like I just mentioned, and uh, the bride being the church. And then he says there's the friend of the groom, the best man. Now, I don't know if it's that it, but, you know, there's this friend. And it says here that the friend is, is cool with standing back and letting the groom have his day. You ever been to a wedding where the bridesmaid or, <laughs> or groomsman kind of took over the wedding? <laughs> No? Okay, all right. That's fine. That's fine. It happens. <laughs> it happens sometimes, and it's very uncomfortable, and you're like, listen, it's not your wedding, okay? All right, okay. Uh, <laughs> it happens sometimes. But what John is saying, is saying, hey, I'm, I'm okay. He said, I'm just standing here. I'm listening. I'm rejoicing with what's going on, meaning he doesn't have to have the spotlight. John's the, John the Baptist, who is an impressive guy, he's, he's okay with just hanging out here. Hey, it's, it's all about Jesus, the bridegroom, right? It's all about, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm fine, I'm, a, I'm over here. I'm rejoicing with what God's doing. The credit doesn't have to go to me. The credit has to go to the groom, to Jesus Christ. Do you see that? That's what he's talking about here. And for us, a true servant leader is not preoccupied with personal visibility and recognition. We are not preoccupied with making sure that people notice that, uh, uh, that, that, uh, that maybe certain roles are not as significant or others are more significant, or, nor do we covet uh, more visible ro roles thinking that it's going to add more significance to us. The point is that uh, we've got a purpose to steward what God has given to us and just be okay with him getting the glory and it not being about us getting the glory. John chapter 3 and verse 27, John answered and said, I'm sorry, I don't have the scripture for this, but John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. 1 Corinthians 12, 18, but now, has set God, uh, now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. The point is that God placed us where we are, and we need to be totally okay with it. God placed us here. God gave you the responsibilities you have, and we need to be okay with him getting the glory rather than us. To me, this speaks so strongly about the spirit of contentment within our, within our lives. Just having a spirit of contentment, being okay with, with not having to have um, all of the benefit, because true greatness is not found in a position or in public recognition. True greatness for us is shown in the details of other people's lives. Here's what I mean by that. For me, and I believe scripture backs this up, to be truly a great person the evidence is in the lives of the people that you've made an impact in. The evidence is in the lives of those that you have come alongside. But think, think about it. Think about the people who've made the greatest impact in your life. Like for real, like really made an impact in your life. Who are they? They are people who have sacrificed for you. People who have gone out of their way for you. People who have maybe sacrificed financially or in other ways. People who have mentored you. People who have spent time with you people who you know in an intimate way 
I really doubt that the person who's impacted you the most is a celebrity. Although, I mean, some people are like, Michael Jackson changed my life. You know, like, <laughs> did he really, you know? <laughs> did he really change your life? Think about it. It's not some big celebrity. It's not some, you know, and for some of you, maybe you, you know, listen to people online. It's not some big, big name pastor out there somewhere. The people that make the greatest impact in your life are those who make a personal impact in your life. The ones who sacrificed to serve you. Now, I mentioned Brother Adams today is here with us in church. And, um, uh, and you know, Brother Adams, um, and he's not going to like me saying this, but Brother Adams is somebody who's made a huge impact in my life personally. And it's not because as a kid I went to a youth conference and there was 600 or 700 kids there and he was standing up there running the youth conference. That's not, that's not what made an impact in my life. What made an impact in my life, and he was a youth pastor for 29 years, what made an impact in my life with Brother Adams is the fact that he got to know me personally. That he would ask me, how are you doing? He would text me and ask me how things were going. Brother Adams has sent me Christmas presents. How weird is that? <laughs> a pastor that I don't even know. Well, I do know, obviously. But he's, I mean, I still have the hiking shoes you sent me from Keene, you know, because he knows I wear a size 14 and it's hard to find shoes. And he thought of me and bought me shoes and sent them to me. He has done little things like that all throughout my life. From the time that I first met him, I think when I was 13, until now, he has made a personal investment in me personally. He spent time with me. He's gone out of his way to, to encourage me. And while I know that he has received recognition for the years of service, and, and honestly, God has used him and his wife's life in a tremendous way, the thing that I believe, and I know he will attest to this, the greatest reward to the Adams is not big, uh, you know, plaques and some big picture or something like that. That's not the greatest reward. The greatest reward for you, I know, is seeing young people who came through the youth conference, who made decisions for the Lord, who are pastoring and serving and, and just being faithful to the Lord all around the United States and Canada. That's the great reward right there. That's the great reward to him. And I know he would stand and give testimony to that today is seeing his own family love and serve the Lord and, and all of these people. Brother Adams, you made an impact in my life not because you're an unusually gifted person. I'll just, I, you would attest to that as well. Oh, he's pretty strong. He's a pretty strong guy. <laughs> but because you've served me personally, and that's what you made an impact, and I appreciate that. And I want to thank you today for that. Thank you for being here today. Here, here's the thing, church. If you want to be great, give yourself to the small, mundane, easily overlooked needs all around you. <laughs> give attention to those things. God died so that you could live, and the life that you have because of what Jesus Christ did for you is a life that is meant to be great, but not in the world's idea of great, but in God's idea of great. And God said in his, in his word, Jesus himself said, he said, if you want to be first, you just need to be last. You need to be the servant. And I want to be first in God's eyes. I want to be great in God's eyes. You know, honestly, the, the longer I live, and I'm not that old, the longer I live, I really don't give much of a rip anymore about the world caring about me. You realize that? You know, my, my dreams of celebrity are gone. My Insta fame is gone. I'm trying to get 100 likes on a photo. Help me out, okay? But, uh, <laughs> you know, that stuff is so quick, isn't it? It's just, it's just gone so quickly. But the things that last are the impact that we make in other people's lives by simply serving them. You're not going to change somebody else's life by being a celebrity. You're not. But you will change their life by just being there for them by serving them, willing to put aside maybe your own things in order to sacrifice and to encourage them. There's a story of a man by the name of Niccolo Pagagini, I think is how you say his name. It's Italian. And I had a photo of him. What happened to it, Christian? I had a picture of him. I don't know, he did the slides. That's okay. All right. Oh, maybe it got lost and we're having issues. Anyway, uh, not he and I. He and I are great. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's like, whoa. Okay, no, no, no. We're having issues with the Google Cloud. Anyway, um, I wanted you to see this picture because he looks like Hugh Jackman, but it was like 200 years ago. But anyway, it looks just like him. Look him up. And uh, anyway, he, he was a famous violinist, very, very famous. And uh, when he retired or, uh, or later on in his life, he willed his violin, which is a very famous violin, I guess. And uh, he willed it to the city of Genoa. Uh, yeah, Genoa. On the condition, uh, and here's his condition. 
He said, I'm going to give you this world-famous violin. I'm going to give you this thing that, uh, that he played that everybody knew. He said, but here's the condition. I'll give it to you if you never play it. That's what he said. Never play this thing. And so that's what they did. I mean, this is Nicola, right? We are going to do what he says. And so what the city did is they placed it uh, into a, a, you know, container or whatever, and it was on display. But an interesting thing happened uh, to that violin. See, a violin, if, if you play a violin and you use a violin, it only wears a small amount. It doesn't wear down very much at all because you're using it, you're handling it, you're playing it. It doesn't, it doesn't you know, deteriorate very quickly. But if a violin is just sitting on its own, it's not being touched, it's not being used, very quickly it begins to decay. Now today, that violin has been eaten through with worms. <laughs> it's, it's just a disaster. This famous instrument that was used by a famous person, it is just, it's worthless. It's totally worthless because nobody used it. Nobody played it. It just sat there. And here's what I want, to want you to understand is that when we are unwilling to serve others, when we are unwilling to um, participate and be active and be involved in the local church, the fact is, is that very soon our capacity to be used can be destroyed. Our capacity to be used can be diminished because we're not willing to daily practice the exercise of being a servant leader. Now, my prayer for us as a church today is that we be a people who are simply willing to serve others for the glory of God. That's really what it comes down to. If you don't get anything else, get that. I'm going to serve others for the glory of God, not my own, but for the glory of God. People who are willing to sacrifice and seek the joy and the growth of those that they serve. People who will surrender their rights rather than be a hindrance to the gospel and not be preoccupied with our personal visibility and recognition, but realize it's all about him. There he is. Oh, there he is. Doesn't he look like you, Jackman? Yeah, he kind of does. All right, thank you. All right. Just want to point that out. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Christian. You found it. All right. <laughs> Listen, living in this way is not easy. I totally get it. It is not an easy thing to do. It's very difficult. It's very challenging. And without God's power, it's impossible. But with his power, it is possible. We have the ability to serve. When we consider the incredible, overwhelming sacrifice of what Christ did for us on the cross, it all kind of comes back into perspective. So I got to ask you today, what, what areas of service are you avoiding maybe? What person are you avoiding? <laughs> what way of getting involved could you be involved in? And the Lord could use you, but you're avoiding it for whatever reason. A preference or personal, you're like, I don't know if I'll be noticed if I do that. Listen, can I just encourage you today? Let's just be servants. Let's lead through our servanthood of one another. And I promise you, God will give you rewards that maybe no one else will notice here on this earth. But in heaven, you'll be rewarded. God sees, God knows, and it makes for just an awesome church family when we're just serving one another. It's a real blessing. When it comes to this is us, this is who we should be, servant leaders willing to serve one another for the benefit, for the growth of the church family. We hope today's message was a help to your relationship with God. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will continue to do a unique work as you pursue His will for your life.